Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joy today, she's a former teacher and digital content creator, OnlyFans at Sarah Jury. How are you doing today, Sarah? Hi, I am so excited to be on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. Oh, that that's a good question. Growing up, I was like a uh, tomboy. So I loved sports, playing sports, basketball. Um, I had three older brothers growing up. So I was the kid outside, you know, chasing my older brothers, trying to do all the fun stuff they did. So did you guys kind of have like a competitive atmosphere, like fun competition anytime you guys were playing outside and things like that? Um, You know, my brothers were a little older, so four, six and eight years older. So um, I was probably more the annoying little sister than anything. (laughs) What did you like about basketball? Um, I was just always a naturally athletic kid. So I was not, you know, I came from, um, uh, parents that didn't make very much money. So I wasn't the kid that got the fancy, um, um, like sports sessions and training, Mm -hmm. but I was just, Athletic. So I think that just kind of, um, it was fun. It was fun. Um, and I just loved it. I was a kid that would just be outside um, playing basketball by myself. You talked about growing up with parents that financially weren't as stable or things like that. Did that have to teach you about being able to step up in a role or be able to take more responsibilities to help out in certain situations? Yeah, that's such a good question because, like, um, even as adults, so much of your life really stems from your childhood and things that happened in your childhood. So to give you a little bit of my backstory, uh, my dad was an abusive alcoholic. And later on in life, I actually found out he was addicted to heroin. And he lived in a park in Phoenix right before he died. He died when I was 16. So that's kind of going to give you a little bit of insight to um, this issue of like growing up in a poverty cycle. Um, My parents split up when I was in third grade, but my mom then became a single mom stuck in a poverty cycle. So we moved to Indiana. I lived with my grandparents. Um, So I think when you are a child that grows up in um, a home with parents who are unhealed, who had their own traumas, it does, uh, first of all, it sort of um, deregulates your nervous system. So that you find ways to cope as a kid. And my way of coping was to just be the perfect daughter. You know, I was the hyper responsible straight A student in sports, never got in trouble, never snuck out of the house, was in bed by nine o'clock as a teenager. Um, So that was sort of how I, how I grew up, but with a sense of being more mature for my age than maybe other kids. Do you feel that put a lot of pressure on you? Did it ever get too much for you in those scenarios? Yeah, I think looking back, you know, when you're a kid, you don't ever know any different. However you grew up, whatever lifestyle your parents give you, you just assume that life and that's how everybody lives so you don't have any perspective on it so I think now as an adult looking back I definitely see the ways that the trauma from my childhood affected me then and even in ways now you talked about the trauma I've had my scenarios with that with my dad where alcohol played a big effect and I think a lot of times my family members are like oh well don't you be like him and stuff and 
they didn't trust me in those situations, especially right before going to college where that's the big time where alcohol, drugs and things like that. And I go, yeah. I see what that goes on and I don't want to be like that. So yeah. I, knew, I had the mindset, but anytime I see like friends and stuff, I always go back to those moments with my dad and I try to be protective of them in those situations. It's so true. And just being the daughter of an alcoholic and my dad was abusive alcoholic. So he was mean when he drank alcohol. Um, you know, I think that does something to you, too, when you see a totally different personality change. Yeah. Um, so then I also became afraid of alcohol. I didn't drink alcohol in my adulthood. Um, now I will have an, a glass of wine maybe once a week or something. But I, I've always remained very cognizant of alcohol because that when, when you see it from the perspective of a child um, often people kind of lean the way we did which was I'd rather just abstain I don't want anything yeah. to do with it in some ways your role models become doing exactly the opposite of whatever your parents did <laughs> so it's like Whatever they were doing, I'm just going to do the opposite and I might yeah. be okay. Did this give you an opportunity to really bond with your mom with going through everything? Like, were you able, were you close to her? That's a, that's a great question. You know, unfortunately, I guess I would say no. I feel like in the abuse that my mom had with my dad, I feel like she really became depressed. She shut down in a lot of ways. Um, and I feel almost like I was parental mm -hmm. in the relationship. So I wish that I had, a, you know, a story where I didn't have a, a strong relationship with my dad, but with my mom, um, I didn't so much, but you know, it's interesting because both of my parents have passed now. My dad, when I was 16 and my mom about four years ago, and I think the older you get, you sort of um, try to have some empathy for your parents for all of their unhealed wounds that they were sort of acting out um, during your childhood. So, um, you know, I, I, I wish I had different modeling and different parental relationships, but, um, you know, there's always lessons to be learned from your parents either way. I agree. Yeah. Sometimes I even look back. It's like, could I have done anything differently to help in a situation? But you have to keep going forward and try to make the best of every situation now. Yes. Moving forward positively is my <laughs> motto. <laughs> Sometimes we're asked that fun question. What is our dream job? As you were growing up, what was that dream job for you? You know, it's funny. Um, I wanted to be a teacher and I wanted to be an aerobics instructor. And I actually got, I did become a teacher and I got certified in group fitness a couple of years ago. So sometimes those childhood dreams <laughs> um, do manifest. Um, so I guess I did fulfill both of them. And now I'm in a totally different profession I never dreamed of. Was there a teacher that you had that kind of sparked that interest of wanting to be a teacher? Yeah, so I had a lot of exceptional teachers. I think lots and lots of teachers go into it for the right reasons. They have the heart for kids. And I was the um, kid that was always pleasure to have in class, you know, so... Teachers really liked me because I never gave them any problems. But I had lots of um, really great, exceptional, kind teachers that definitely made a difference. And I think because of my childhood, school became a very safe place for me to find um, uh, validation mm -hmm. and get maybe attention that I didn't receive at home. So I became very good at school because I liked the accolades and I liked 
the the good um, the good attention that I got from my teachers. So, when you were at school and with your friends, were you open to them about what you were going through, or did you kind of try to keep it separate and not reveal much? Oh, that's a that's a great question. So it was weird because when I moved to Indiana, my grandparents. Uh, were more middle class. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I went from like a low income, crazy, chaotic house in Arizona to um, a very religious, middle class subdivision life. So in some ways, I think with certain friends, I did try to assimilate to my friends that maybe had more stable and functioning lives that I kind of segued into because of my grandparents when we moved in with them. Um, but, you know, over the years, you get a mix of friends that some have just as much dysfunction at home and you share those things. So I feel like in some ways I sort of had a dual life um, experiencing both sides of the coins but trying to trying to figure it all out for myself and where I fit in what is it hard going from Arizona or Indiana from a different side like going from heat to the midwest where any weather could happen (laughs) yes one I've still never gotten used to the weather but two just in a um just looking back in my childhood, like going from a home of mom and dad and three brothers, my brothers did not come with us because they were my uh, half brothers. So when we moved here, it was just my sister and I and my mom. So there was that sense of like, my family got ripped apart. And all of a sudden, I'm living with grandma and grandpa. And, you know, there just wasn't, um, I don't think counseling or therapy was as um, mainstream then. Mm -hmm. So I think it would have probably benefited for me to have gotten some therapy during that time. Um, Because that was a big transition and there's a lot of confusion when you're a kid, but when nobody talks about it, it's just like, oh, we just packed up and moved. You just, you just follow your parents' leads. Are you close to those half brothers now or did it take some time to like get reconnected and things like that? That's a good question. No, unfortunately, um, my brother's I sort of, when my dad died when I was in high school, because they were kind of so much older than me, um, I I became more estranged from them then. And then my sister, after my mom died, I became estranged from her. So in this scenario, which might explain some stuff too about what's happening in my life, um, like I've really been um essentially on my own (laughs) without any family support so going towards now teaching did you go to college where did you go things like that how was that experience for you did you kind of even get more excited about going pursuing education yeah well with um Growing up with my parents, seeing my mom struggle so much as a single mom, and I was always really good at school, um, it was a very natural thing to just know that I was going to go to college. And in my mind, college was the um, ultimate poverty cycle breaker, right? It was like, if I just go and get this degree... um, I'll always be able to financially take care of myself. So um, I ended up going to a local college um, in Indiana, a a local branch of Indiana University. And I didn't have, you know, the typical college life. 
but also I was like hyper responsible. So I was the kid who worked and put myself to college and I lived at home when I did that. So I didn't, I don't, I couldn't tell you one college party that I went to because I didn't, (laughs) you know, I was just working and I went to school and I was just very, very driven getting that, like nothing else mattered, but getting my degree. And I was out of the five children, uh, only two of us graduated from college. So I'm first generation college graduate. And then only two out of the five of us uh, got a bachelor's degree. And I feel like when you mentioned I didn't go, or I don't remember going to a party, I didn't. I feel like that's the kind of the motto is, oh, if I'm going to college, I have to go to that party and things like that. But some people do the route that you took where you're working to put yourself through college. You're so focused at the task at hand. And that shows a lot of good qualities about yourself because you can take those same qualities and move it towards the future. And it just showcases where people go to college. And I have friends that they only went to college to party and <laughs> they didn't, it didn't, wasn't a good end game. But yeah. I look back at that and they're like, I wish I did it differently. I wish I was more focused. And so I give you the credit that yeah. you put yourself through college and you went and got it. I did. It's funny, though, now that I'm older, because looking back, I do wish I would have taken things a little less seriously and had more fun, you know, not yeah. just like the the party scene, but just more like being social and going out and dancing. And, um, you know, I never really let myself be playful. I was always like a very serious kid. So it's only now that I've gotten older that I've sort of tapped into being more playful, (laughs) understanding that life's not as serious. I don't have to be hyper serious all the time. Um, And that I can just sort of experience some of the joy that I didn't have as a kid. So I know it's weird, but the older I get, the more I kind of am like aging in reverse where where I'm (laughs) like, you know what, if you don't take some time to have some fun and find some joy in life, then you're, it's going to pass by. I totally agree. I was serious in college and I joined like a fraternity and stuff. And I'm like, I can't be that party person, but I look back and I'm like, I wish I was less serious and I just enjoyed it and stopped being yes. focused about. Stuff. Yes. And nowadays I'm like the complete opposite where I'm like, I'm going to go and have fun. Like life. Yeah. Or you got to just enjoy every day. Same, same. So as a teacher, what level did you teach and where did you teach at? You don't have to get the specifics, but like which grade level yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So um, I tried traditional teaching in a public school and that kind of ended pretty (laughs) shortly for me. Um, It was really stressful. There were a lot of, um, I I got, I was working in a a sort of a a poverty school and um, you know, there were just some behaviors like that weren't good. And uh, you know, kids flipping their desk and, it just wasn't a good, healthy um, first job. So I sort of quickly realized, okay, I don't like this. I can't go home and cry every day after work. It, but what happened was my path um, opened up to informal education. So what happened was uh, a local hospital had a health kids museum. And I started teaching field trips and I loved it. It was so fun. And it was sort of like being the aunt of teaching. The kids would come, we'd have fun with them and send them back with their teachers. So I did that for about eight years. That was almost a decade. And um, that was when I fell in love with informal education. Um, So I sort of worked my way up. Uh, from teacher to lead teacher to curriculum and evaluation specialist. Um, Then I had my own kids and worked on a couple research projects at the University of Notre Dame for a couple years, but I really longed and missed teaching and the fun of teaching. Mm 
I like I'm not cut out for a desk job. So there was a new program that was coming to town, which with a similar format, teaching science, technology, engineering and math. And I was there for six years before I got fired. Um, so, again, I sort of stayed in informal education, teaching field trips, but it was fun. I loved it. And I, I loved my last job as well. What's the biggest thing working in education has taught you about yourself? Oh, gosh, so, so many things. Um, I think patience. I think it showed me that I have a lot of patience, like teachers typically do, you know. Um, And in my journey, especially the last several years, I have been more on a spiritual path for myself, doing a lot of healing work from my childhood. And I really started getting into manifesting and positive affirmations, the power of positive thinking. And so I really wanted to incorporate that into my classroom. And I wanted my classroom to be joyful experience for my students. And um, I would always tell them because I taught fifth graders uh, that I wanted their time in my classroom to be be their favorite memory from fifth grade that when they thought about being in my classroom it just brought a smile to their face and they remembered um, having fun because I think you forget as teachers that they will totally forget everything (laughs) academically that they learn but kids will always remember how you made them feel and what the culture of the classroom was they will never forget that was there a specific moment that a a student that has said about their time in your class that were yeah, for you? So, so many kids. So um, in my program, I taught about a thousand students a year. So, yeah, we would bring in uh, students for like five week programs. And so I actually taught a lot of students. And at the end of their visit, we would do a big slideshow with fun pictures of all the fun stuff they did with us. And they would write little slips of um, their time and what they liked. And are, are were they more excited about STEM than before they came? And, um, you know, kids would just write the sweetest things. And so I would keep those little slips of paper at my desk, sometimes I'd hang them up um, because, you know, there were lots of kids that I specifically connected with and they enjoyed my energy and my smile and uh, my style of teaching. So, um, you know, I think that was very affirming to me um, that when you're in a job and you're in a job where you're working out of your very best strengths. Um, it really it is a catalyst to making a difference for people because I really loved teaching and I really loved being in that classroom. And I think kids can tell when you are genuine and you want to be there and, and you like being around them. Uh, and fifth graders are fun. They are at that age of um, you can actually, they have a sense of humor, you know, so you can sort of tease them. And um, they are that fun age where they still, some of them still really like, um, they really like their teachers still. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they, they're like getting older, so they're all into the cool stuff. Yeah. So you can, you know, anything that was trendy like Fortnite and Takis and um, just the dab, not the dab is not cool, but when I started it was cool. You know, it's like those kids would like teach you all the things that they liked and how to make you cooler and stuff like that. Um so I'm trying to think, um, oh, last year, uh, the kids 
I told them, I said, you know, as a teacher, I teach you new vocabulary. I was teaching them about chromatography and solvents and solutes. And the kids taught me about bussin bussin. <laughs> so sometimes as a teacher, you teach them things and sometimes they teach you things. And I would always use that to break the ice with other classes. Um, and my own kids now are in fifth grade. So it's a fun age. It's I really I really liked that specific age of kids. A big moment in the final years of teaching for you had a big transition time. Talk about that last year for you as a teacher before you got fired. What was going on and how did everything reveal itself? Oh, that that's that's such a good question. So what happened was um, I became a single mom. So. I was living in a really high rent uh, apartment and my employer didn't offer health insurance. So between my rent and my health insurance, that equated to a whole paycheck. Wow. So what happened was all of a sudden as a single mom, I start getting into this poverty cycle myself. So, like, talk about being very triggered from my childhood, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the last two years, I, um, uh, I had worked really hard on my health. I've lost a lot of weight and... Um, like I told you, I got certified in group exercise. So I became friends with a lot of women who are entrepreneurs and they started their own businesses. So what I started doing was um, starting side hustles for myself. And I had a friend that had a salon. She got me trained on teeth whitening. So I did that for a while, but I wasn't really making any real good income. So then I purchased sublimation equipment and I trained myself how to make shirts and tumblers and mugs. And I started doing design work. Sometimes I would like do logo work for people. So I started that business. Then I started doing reading tutoring on the side. I did keto coaching on the side. I worked out with people and they would pay me for working out with them on the side. I sold poppets. <laughs> I um, <clears throat> I looked for every opportunity that I could find to supplement my income. Mm-hmm. So I was constantly working all the time, plus trying to work out, plus raising my kids. Um, so there were times this past, this last school year, We had to do an after-school program for part of the year as well. So I would teach all day. I would go to the after-school program. I would come home. I would tutor reading. And then I would make shirts until bedtime. So all day and all night, I was literally working. And um, I was just really being crushed financially. And it was really heartbreaking because for the first time in my life, there wasn't, um, there wasn't an equivalency to my hard work and the success I was having. So I was working so hard, but spinning my wheels in a poverty cycle. Uh, you know, $20 here, $20 there. Um, and then as we all know, inflation really hit. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden gas prices got really, really high in the spring. Well, then groceries got high, you know, and there were times that I would buy groceries for my kids from the Dollar Tree 
Well, now all of a sudden, even the Dollar Tree is a dollar twenty-five. Yep. So with my job too, I only um, got a raise every three years. So I was stuck in this poverty cycle, and you know there were times that I would sob in the bathtub and my kids started calling me sad mommy um so oh my gosh <laughs> i usually don't cry on podcasts it's all good but um so essentially that was what was happening was i was just under a lot of financial pressure with feeling like there was no real way out. So um, a local friend, a mom in town, had posted on her Facebook page that she had started an OnlyFans account and she had shown that she had made $10,000 on the page. Well, you have to remember that I've been doing a lot of entrepreneurial stuff the last two years. So I was like, man, if I could just have a couple months of making that money, I could pay my credit cards off. Um, I got in so much credit card debt that I had to sell my car back to the bank. So I really wanted to um, buy my car back. Mm-hmm. So I had these financial goals for myself and um, at work we were, I, I finished the school year. I opened my OnlyFans account. I had two weeks off of work. So I was like, okay, I'm going to open my OnlyFans account. I didn't do too much on it. Um, but then I had to go back to work for three weeks to run summer camps. So I went back for three weeks, ran the summer camps, and then I was going to have the month of July off of work. So my plan was during July, try out OnlyFans, see if I'm able to get some income going for myself um, and see what happened before I went back to work in August. And um, the very last day of summer camp, we were having a casual conversation in the office. And my coworker was talking about her husband going on a, um, a bachelor a bachelor party trip to North or South Carolina. And she was saying that at the bachelor party, they had hired a stripper. And the stripper charged $600 just to show up to the party. No tips, nothing. My boss and I were listening to the story and we were like, wow, that's really good money. <laughs> and um, my coworker says, yeah, I'm thinking of starting an OnlyFans account, but maybe I'll have my husband do it first and basically test the waters because gay men love him. So we're having this casual conversation. We're laughing about this. And then my boss says, yeah, you guys, you two should start an OnlyFans account and sell your panties on OnlyFans. Uh, men love panties and you wouldn't make a lot of money selling panties. Well, I'm entrepreneurial. So if my boss just gave me the green light to pursue OnlyFans, I took that to heart. I started promoting my page and then that was actually what led to my firing this meeting is being recorded so with the OnlyFans account was it everything you thought it was going to be like it that is such a an interesting question because before I got fired I had only had it a couple weeks so it wasn't like I was an established content maker or I knew what I was doing or I had found success on the platform. I had no, I really had no idea what I was getting into other than 
I thought it would just be an easy way to sell some pictures and make some side money. That was like literally my uh, entire objective. I didn't go into it with any grandiose ideas. Um, but again, I've also been single for the last five years. So there's nothing that I've done on OnlyFans that I wasn't doing on dating sites. Yeah. So not really. It's interesting to me that people have a very strong trigger to OnlyFans, but not to the fact that people are using people on dating sites and the hookup culture dating sites in my opinion, are way worse than OnlyFans, way more predatory. And I will say that I have a lot of positive things to say about OnlyFans. And my fans and the men I've met on OnlyFans are some of the kindest, most empathetic um, men that I've ever come across. So um, that's such an interesting question because now, having been on the platform for several months, um, I really have only good things to say about the people that are on OnlyFans and that the platform, if people were more open-minded about the platform itself, could be used in a very healing way for people. Virtual sex has a great... Um, there's a great use for that platform for people to manage their sexual energy in very responsible ways, unlike dating sites. Um, and it's interesting because I've been celibate for most of my five years being single. And um, I'm still celibate with an OnlyFans page. So it's just interesting to me the different people that I've met and the different reasons people are on OnlyFans. Um, but the, there's no stigma around dating sites because they're packaged as dating. But my experiences on dating sites were far worse as, as a woman. So there's all these like really interesting dynamics that, um, I have found personally being on the platform. So in, in a lot of ways, the OnlyFans platform has been actually a really good experience. Um, surprisingly, you know, like I didn't know anything about OnlyFans, honestly, other than my friend joined it. She made a lot of money. And so I just hopped on without doing very much research about it. Something that OnlyFans has a topic in the media is where we only hear the negatives. But when someone searches your name, you come up in a lot of articles with the whole OnlyFans account, teacher gets fired. But as we're doing this interview, a lot of the information you talk about aren't in those articles, which is obviously they are trying to make you look as a bad person. How does that play an effect mentally? Because mental health is a big thing. And when you're seeing those articles, it's not healthy at all. No, it was very, very hard on my mental health. And you have to understand with my backstory, when you were asking me about what was happening the last year, my financial struggles were creating a lot of depression and suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when these stories came out about me, and I'm a very like sensitive person, <laughs> um, they were devastating. Um, a lot of stories created um, just for clickbait. Yep. And um, I was suicidal right after it all happened. Um, it was very, very hard on my mental health. Um, the, the blogger who got me fired also stole images from my OnlyFans page, and I was a victim of revenge porn. He, he distributed nude photos all over Facebook and Twitter of me. 
So all of a sudden, I go from being a private citizen, just a mom who's teaching, to being thrust into the media, um, having the, the worst kinds of accusations. I've been called a groomer. Um, and not only the media articles, but comments from people. Those are the worst, you yeah. know. Um, so there were times where I would go and read comments about myself and, um, it was really heartbreaking. It really hurt my heart. And, um, the media does a good job dehumanizing people and being divisive, you know? So when I go on podcasts, it's like, everyone has a story. Everyone has a story that would break your heart if you heard it. You know, so this idea of dehumanizing people is very, it's very tragic, um, especially with social media, because it's very divisive and it creates this illusion that we're separate from other people. Um, so contrary to how a lot of the articles portrayed me, um, I, you know, didn't go into OnlyFans to be a porn star. I never um, promoted OnlyFans in the classroom when I, in fact, I had my OnlyFans page when I did summer camp. And I have a text from my old boss about how great summer camps went. And I ran into a parent whose daughter was in the summer camp with me and she knew what had happened and read about it. I'm from a small town and she was so sweet and kind and supportive. And she told me how much her daughter loved being in my class and loved summer camp. And, um, it, it has taught me so much about my own resiliency it's taught me about um remaining kind and empathetic in a world that will just tear people apart this whole cancel culture yeah um you know it's like growing up in trauma i have always been very empathetic and kind to people because it's my own mental health struggles. Um, it's very important to me that I don't traumatize people more. So I've always wanted to be like a safe place for people, a, a landing place for their hearts. Um, a person who's, uh, their heart is safe with me. So I feel even more committed to this, especially being dragged through the media the way that I have been. So actually on my OnlyFans page, I talk a lot about mental health, especially with men. Men don't always talk about mental health. Um, and truthfully, my OnlyFans page is probably more of a mental health. There's more of a mental health component than People realize people are very lonely in this world. People suffer silently. And even on my page, I want to be a kind person, a kind woman to the fans that join my page. So, um, you know, even my, my Instagram platforms, I feel like doubled down in my efforts to continue shining a positive light, even despite everything that I've gone through, it makes me more determined um, because the easy path is to be a wounded individual and to go through trauma and heartbreak and grief that we all go through. It's the human experience. No one escapes it, mm -hmm. but to remain soft and empathetic and kind and loving to people. That is strength. That is strength. Um, you know, to alchemize your traumas and your childhood experiences 
and to work on healing yourself. Um, it really liberates other people to find healing and joy in their life despite things they've gone through um, and experiences. So it was very painful. It was very, very traumatic. I am very thankful that uh, I didn't commit suicide because it was a real thought. There was a lot of humiliation that I endured. Have you been able to be open with your kids about the platform and how you're utilizing it as an empowerment in a way that a lot of creators on that platform aren't doing? Yes. Um, You know, at first, it was really hard to tell my kids that mommy wasn't a teacher anymore um, because uh, I waited six years for my kids to come to the program and be in mommy's classroom. And that was supposed to happen this year. And it was all we talked about last year was you guys are going to finally be in fifth grade and you'll be in mommy's room. Um, so there was a lot that was taken from me. 20 year career. Um, my kids being in my class after waiting all these years, teaching other kids, Um, but it gave me a different perspective because I was really struggling with suicide that, um, my kids need me and I have to continue showing up in the, in the most, um, emotionally available capacity that I can for them. So, um, you know, they, I try, they know I'm on OnlyFans, but I still try to keep it pretty private. Um, however, you know, they know I'm in the news. They know I'm in the media. I've just kind of told my kids, like, listen, I, I'm in the news. I'll never be able to scrub the internet. Um, but it is important for me to continue doing things like these podcasts because it's my voice, it's my story, it's my narrative, and I never want to give power up to other people to write a story about me. It, like my, my life and my story is the most powerful thing that I have. And I did an Instagram live the other day and I said, listen, we all have parts of our stories that are very dark. You feel shame you feel grief or sadness, or it's the part of your story you don't want to share with people. But those stories are so important that you do share because those are the stories that connect humans to each other. When you share your story, you liberate other people in their stories so they don't feel so alone where you're like, yeah, I had a traumatic childhood, I was a struggling single mom trying to get out of a poverty cycle. Yes, I've struggled with depression. Yes, I've struggled with suicidal ideation. As soon as you say those words, other people feel less alone. They, uh, you know, my story is the story of so many other people. So when I share my story, not only do I get to help heal myself, but I get to liberate other people in their healing. So it's a gift. I totally agree. I think a lot of people, sometimes they don't know how to speak about certain things that they're going through, but when they hear someone else share it, they know that they're not alone. And sometimes that person will reach out to that individual and say, I heard your story. It was inspiring. You helped me go through this. And I think that's the power. And I totally agree that everyone should be given that opportunity to share. And that's how I use this platform. Everyone has a story. It could be the tiniest thing. It could be the largest thing, but there's someone out there listening that might be going through that same thing. And maybe they need to hear that person talk or it's inspiring them to be able to be open about it. So I appreciate you being so open about it because like you said, someone could hear this and it could help them. Yeah, I I hope it does. Like, that's really genuinely my mission. 
um, is to turn this experience that was almost sent to destroy me, Mm -hmm. alchemize it into positivity and hope and inspiration for other people. Um, So I feel very committed to that and sharing my story. I hope to to write a book someday and really um, do a lot more advocacy work to help give people a voice that maybe feel like they don't have a voice because I feel like there's almost no situation that someone's going through that I haven't gone through myself and um, under understand that. So um, I do, I appreciate it. And I appreciate every person and um, journalist and podcast that gives me a platform that humanizes me instead of uh, you know, puts me as a headline that's just so easy to um, categorize into um, some villainous mode that I'm really not. Nobody really is. You know, we all have our struggles. And um, so I'm, I'm deeply appreciative. And it's been a humbling because my story has made its way around the world. And I have fans from all over the world and followers on my Instagram page. And um, it's cool because I get to meet all these people I never would have met without this experience. And um, just share my story with them and feel really supported by other people who understand um you know, that I was just trying to do the best I could as a mom. Um, you know, when you're a single parent, you're a provider and protector. So I was, that essentially was what I was trying to do was provide for my kids. Cause, um, you know, my parents divorce was so traumatic. Like we literally jumped out of a window, my mom and my sister and I, while my dad was like banging on the door, beating her up. And so I never had, I never wanted my children to go through a divorce. In fact, I waited eight years in my marriage before I even had children because I was so nervous about like um, never wanting my kids to have a divorce. And then here I am, a single mom in a divorce situation. It really broke my heart. And because my childhood was so traumatic, I wanted to give my kids this like beautiful, stable, happy childhood. I still want that for them, you know, and I think OnlyFans felt like a means to that. Like if I'm on OnlyFans, I could I take my kids to Disney World and, um, you know, I could give them more stability and also take financial stress off of me so that I wasn't sad mommy all the time. You know, they deserve the the healthiest, happiest, most emotionally available mom that I can be to them. So, you know, I feel like essentially like motherhood is my highest calling. And, um, you know, I, I love my kids dearly. I would do in literally anything for them even starting an OnlyFans account to get us out of the situation we were in. So, you know, at the end of the day, that really was my, my driving motivator. It wasn't to be deviant or, you know, to be a bad teacher or, you know, influence kids in any negative way. Um, It just unfortunately brings up a lot of conversations about teacher pay and, you know, it, it's, it's not so much that I can make way more on OnlyFans, but the conversation really is why was I not able to have a, a, a good living as a teacher with a college degree? So I had a job where I was using my intelligence and my heart and my soul, but I was living in a poverty cycle. But as a woman, I can like take my clothes off and make five to eight times what I was making teaching because I have a body. It doesn't make any sense. There's a big disconnect there for me. Um, 
But at the end of the day, that's that's the reality and that's the system that was set up. (laughs) So I'm just trying to um, capitalize financially on this experience truthfully. (laughs) The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview for you based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? I would say prioritize your mental health, whatever that means it might mean that you have to leave a marriage. It might mean that you have to leave a job. Um, but you need to take care of yourself first. Um, because without your mental health, you are nothing. You are nothing. So for me, I've had to prioritize my mental health by going to the gym every day. I have to go to the gym. Gym therapy has been more productive in my healing than talk therapy. I did a lot of talk therapy, you know, but the gym therapy where I've had to cultivate a mental toughness and also benefit from a lot of the endorphins and good um, chemicals that are created when you work out that you're really depleted in when you're depressed. And I understand when you're depressed, like, There were days I would be in bed till 5 p.m., but there has to be something inside of you that makes yourself get up and go take care of yourself, even if it's little baby steps at first, because sometimes that's all you have the emotional energy for. But you have to remember that there's a higher version of yourself that's beckoning for you to rise into. You are, you are it is your divine birthright to experience abundance and peace and joy and harmony in your life. You deserve that. You deserve all of those things. You deserve the best things. So I think, you know, positive affirmations, um, taking extreme care of yourself, your mental health, your physical health, um, and prioritizing those things above anything. Um, because you can get through anything in life. There's nothing that um, you're not resilient enough to um, go through. And when I go to the gym, I tell myself I am blessed and unstoppable and I am built for this. And just by telling those things, reframing my story, um, you know, I, I'm very big into like rewriting your narrative. I'm rewriting my story as we speak because I'm determined to have a happy ending for myself. I will not give power to other people to write my story for me because I am the author of my story and my story's not over. There's yeah. a lot of goodness that I have left to give to the world. I have a lot, I have a bright light and positive energy and it's in all of us. So that would be, Uh, my hope for everyone listening is that um, you just keep that little tiny packet of light and joy and hope alive. Just don't ever let anyone squash it um, because you just need a little bit to keep going and um, just keep dreaming the most beautiful, brilliant dreams. My daughter a couple years ago uh, wrote on a dollar bill, millionaire mama and I keep that dollar bill and I just know that that's going to manifest for me someday um so you know sometimes we go through experiences that are very painful and very traumatic and they hurt our heart and soul um but you can endure them and use those experiences to just stay kind and stay loving um, and be a little kinder to yourself and other people because you don't know what other people's stories are. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. 
Thank you, Alex. I um, am so uh, grateful to be on your podcast. I wish you so much success and uh, definitely share the link. I'll share it along my socials. And if anyone listening to the podcast would like to join my OnlyFans, uh, let me know that you're coming from this podcast and I will um, I'll make a um, I'll make a discount code just for you guys. So. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.